بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين ما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome back to another episode of the Umfid podcast with your host Shabir Hassan super excited about today's episode because uh, we have someone all the way from the other side <laughs> who but he's actually he's actually living in Medina and he's been living in Medina for many years now inshallah uh, he's uh, introducing something very soon which you're all going to hear about known as the Legacy Institute which inshallah we will touch upon very shortly um, but he is none other than the uh, the one and only Sheikh Hasib Noor assalamu alaikum how are you Sheikh uh, good to be here like to thank you and uh, Rafiq for hosting here in Elmfield. Me and Rafiq have had a long relationship uh, for a while, so it's beautiful to see the what it's grown to in the Elmfield podcast. Alhamdulillah. No, thank you so much for taking your time out to, to be here. I know you've got a really busy schedule. Alhamdulillah. And uh, as always, alhamdulillah, when you're in the UK, <coughs> it's because um, it's obviously every time we've met, it's pretty much been over there in, in Medina, right. which is always a blessed opportunity. So it's yeah. nice to have you on our home to turf. Another <laughs> blessed city called Londonistan. Right? <laughs> so, exactly, exactly. Alhamdulillah. So welcome to the, to the studio. And uh, we have some interesting discussions coming up, hopefully. Um, before that, I mentioned Legacy Institute. Mm. So let's just talk about that quickly because um, it's something which hasn't been officially kind of launched yet, but we've been hearing about it for some time. So, <laughs> right. so tell us a bit about that. So uh, the Legacy Institute is basically an institute that focuses on reconstructing the narrative in our own terms. Mm. Um, so a, a lot of the discussions that we've had so far with many institutions, alhamdulillah, for example, like Yaqeen Institute with Sheikh Omar Suleiman, and you have uh, a number of other educational and um, you can research institutions talking about reclaiming the narrative. Mm. So reclaiming the narrative happens in two different ways. One of them is obviously us speaking about our own faith and the values that we have, but also tapping into the legacy that we've had. So there has been in the re- past recent years um, a revival of people wanting to know what our Islamic legacy is from our own you know, lens and perspective. Uh, so what I wanted to do is to kind of create an institution which brings in uh, specialists um, mm. in the history of Islam, not just only in particularly to the uh, physical history, but also the Islamic disciplines as well. Uh, because there needs to be a revival on two terms. One of them is understanding our past, Mm. And one of them is understanding how we go forward in the future. So the Legacy Institute came about. Uh, I have like, alhamdulillah, about eight to nine um, specialists in different fields. People okay. who are going to be in Ottoman history, specialists, uh, Mughal uh, history in India, um, Af- uh, the history of uh, uh, Muslim Africa or is- Islam in Africa, um, in Andalus as well. And then um, me, as far as in, I think three, four other people, mm. have uh, our specialties <clears throat> are in the early Islamic history. Um, which is the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi making it relevant to us mm. as well as the uh, successors of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and then following that after. And what we want to do, the main focus is um, is discussing history the way it should be, okay. um, making it relevant to us, number one. And what we want to do with the Legacy Institute is ha- derive instructional history. So it's not just the stories that you hear, the motivational moments that you have, but mm. what instruction do we get for our time? Where do we draw parallels and uh, how do we benefit from it? So inshallah, that's the general idea of the Legacy Institute. There's going to be a section where we um, have uh, tours where we actually go physically on site. That's mm. um, one of my specialties doing it for the past almost 11 years is to take people on site in Mecca and Medina mm. um, and uh, go through the life of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi the way it should be on, on site knowing where the Prophet's physical homes were, the, the companions' homes were, where the Qur'an was revealed. So it allows you to, to go beyond something what we call uh, Sunday school theory or Saturday school theory or maktab theory like you all know, mm. <laughs> uh, the, which is basically theory that you've been taught or the, the lectures that you've heard or the khutbahs that you've listened to or the parents' uh, stories that you've heard. But to go to what we want to do is experiential reality, to experience mm. the history, to understand the legacy that you're part of. Um, and ultimately, the idea is that if you tap into that and you understand that you're part of a connected chain yeah. to a 1400-year history, uh, it will help you to develop and appreciate the sacrifices that they've had in fulfilling the identity that you kind of um, create for yourself. Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that we've had, right? So uh, Legacy who wants to fill that void, inshallah, uh, not just discuss the contemporary issues, but to realize that we're not only a product of modernity. Yeah, we're not a product of, and that has what I'm saying that has two different connotations. Modernity meaning the nation states that came about, 
and also modernity, meaning the contemporary struggles we're going through. We're not only a product of that, but rather we stem from a 14th you know, century legacy uh, mm. that we derive our <clears throat> guidance from. And that's the biggest claim Islam makes in reality, that we come from a source which is divine in nature, which guides our day-to-day -day affairs, uh, being the Quran and Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and the practice of the companions and their understanding. Mm. So that's a nutshell. It's a mouthful, man. There's so many points to bounce off there, to be right, honest, right, you mentioned. Right. But let's let's stick to one, which is um, so you mentioned actually physically going to the site. Right, right. Um, so one is of of course like opening up a book and reading it. Right. Which a lot of people, by the way, would just think is boring. Right. Of course. Like history is boring. Right. Like even me growing up, like I have right. this perception. Everyone, everyone's got this perception. Like right. why? Like why? Why do I want to sit there right. and read Muqaddimah of Ibn Khaldun, for right. example? It's just right. like. It's, it's, it's boring, right? Right. So, okay, that's so that, that, I guess that's one side of things where actually if you physically take them right. to the site, that actually opens, opens up their eyes and, and it shows actually, look, right. here it is in front of you. Right. And then you can kind of recreate the story, right? So that's I guess that's one side, like you said, the experience side of things mm -hmm. where you can teach them. But um, why, why, why do you think that is? Like, as, even particularly as Muslims, why do we just find it boring for like... To be honest with you, I think because it was it was taught boring, you know, <laughs> uh, that's just a reality. I mean, yeah. a lot of people when we when we talk about history, um, we were taught in <clears throat> school, public school, and also university, mm. the boring history of you know sometimes the country that we live in or whatever. Like I remember American history, and it was taught just in such a boring way that I it made me like not like history at all, yeah. um, and thinking that okay, this is this is how history in general is, and it. it uh, in, interestingly, uh, Ibn Khaldun in the Muqaddimah mm. says that many people think that uh, history is something that only benefits uh, to tell a story yeah, yeah. and to entertain large crowds. Yes. He's like, the, this is the biggest, the, the person who thinks this is the biggest, basically, um, misconception of history because history actually tells you about what you're going to do in the future. Mm. So there's a TED talk that we talked about, this guy named Alex something, I forgot his last name, and he talked about the importance of history and he basically... Um, summarized Ibn Khaldun he stole Ibn Khaldun's words he didn't he didn't okay. attribute it to it he said basically what it what history allows you to do is judge and be able to dictate and help your future um and when you know your past you're able to understand how to move into your future if only you <clears throat> teach it in a captivating and in a, in a motivating way and part of that I think is uh people are just separated from from the past right mm -hmm. so the only history that's relevant to them is where they live and the now how is this yeah. going to benefit me? So um, when you teach it in a, in a way that allows them to relate to the history, and that's what we said, instructional and experiential. Mm. Uh, I found that, honestly, the biggest um, influence in people's lives when they come to Hajj and Umrah, and they experience the life of the Prophet ﷺ there. So I've had people email me back and saying, you know, they're going through marital problems. And, you know, the wife emails my wife and saying that, you know, there's been a 180 degree change in my husband because he never thought like Islam was this deep. Wow. You know, you stand in front of the Prophet Sallallahu you're in a place where he physically was was, was tortured for Islam. Mm -hmm. uh, it allows you to open your eyes in a different, it's kind of like, for example, you going to a place uh, like an orphanage or you mm -hmm. go to a hospital. You see somebody whose health has been taken away from them yeah. uh, and you see somebody who's lost their parents. It helps you appreciate it more. So similarly with history, when you actually experience it on site, you're standing in front of a building that's like thousands of years old and there's people who, who lost their lives to protect mm. Islam, the Muslim domain. Uh, it allows you to experience and, and relate to it more. So I think the lack of rela relatability um, had a lot to do with it. Yeah, I guess even in the, in the Quran as well, I mean... That's what we're taught, right? Right. When you read stories of the of the prophets or right. the, the previous nations, right. it's not it's not there for entertainment. Like it's not a storybook. Like you know, yeah. Uh, he, this is the beginning, once upon a time, and then the end, happily ever after. Like right. there's there's actually substance to it. You're supposed right. to take the ibar, right. the lessons from these stories, right? Right. So even in the Quran, we're taught this. So I guess we can just extend that 100%. throughout any any type of history. But like you mentioned, like yourself and and a few others, your 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 particular focus is on what we would say the seerah. Right, and even as uh, students of knowledge, um, really our focus is on the seerah, which it should right. be, of course, right. it's, it's, right. which is very important. But then it kind of like it, you get to the khulafa, and then it kind of dwindles, and and, right. and no one really focuses on what happens after that. Have right. you have you found the same as well? Yeah, and I think that that's problematic because then we're what 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 happens in our mind is that we take the lessons from the life of the Prophet sallam, and then we use that <clears throat> to judge. Uh, the rest of humanity with. So the mm. idealism that's built in our minds from studying the Prophet ﷺ's life mm. and the Khulafa al-Rashidin, 
then it's kind of juxtaposed to the rest of the Muslims. Um, and we think that when we all of a sudden hear about uh, Muslim uh, domain or you know people who used to rule over Muslims and they're not to the level of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, mm. then we're kind of like disappointed. It's like, oh, well, he was a Muslim. How can he do that? Well, that's the reality. You've lived in an idealism that's not real, right? Mm. Islam is, is, is the most ideal way of life that we're trying to live up to in our shortcomings. So history actually, to be honest with you, uh, those captivating stories and whatever, I found like the most amazing time just reading the history because it's much more interesting than something fake. Yeah. And that leads to like the current dramas that, that have been made. It allows people to, um, you know, almost visualize a reality that Muslims lived in. Uh, and it wasn't perfect, but they lived according to the instruction of, the, of our faith mm-hmm. in order to live up to those ideals. So we're now between the idealism that we're trying to like get rid of the idealism that we've had. Um, but there's something else happening too now, which is there's a romanticization of the history as well. Yeah. As if like they've never committed a mistake mm. and they're like the, 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 the pinnacle of grandeur and, yeah. and honor. And, all, and this is also slightly problematic. But I think um, when we talk about history, the more mm. I think you come across uh, real stories with real people who had real problems and real shortcomings, it allows you to understand that Allah doesn't ask for perfection. And one of my, one of my uh, classes in Denmark, uh, teaching the Khulafa al-Rashidin, honestly, this one comment like made my life. Mm. He came up to me and says, I've never found so much hope in Allah after taking your class. And I was like, why? Mm. He's like, if I, if, when I realized how horrible Umar was before Islam and what he eventually became that we love and honor him mm. and like mm. you just smile every time you hear the word Umar, right? I realized that Allah does not judge me based on my past. Ah, I see. But allows me to, you know, fulfill my potential in my future and i was like wow. bro that's history <laughs> that's why you should study history yeah. uh, it allows you and that's what by the way ibn al-athir a great scholar who wrote al-kamil fit-tarikh he said the same thing exactly mm. what you mentioned he said that's why allah uses the examples in the quran mm. so that you can learn to overcome the shortcomings of those who were not perfect but mm. eventually ended up having a station a high station with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well as you would learn the stories about the most horrible of people on earth. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, for example, like, now Hitler didn't exist then, but like Hitler or, uh, and you would not want to be like them yeah. based on how many people like curse them and don't like them and <clears> etc. <throat> so if he said, if that enough is a, is a benefit of history for you to learn from, he said, that's, that's enough. Mm, very interesting yeah. uh, just a quick side question by the way mm. um, just, 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 just to see in terms of your background because I know you've travelled to many places of course UK being right. one of them and you mentioned Denmark, Norway you've been to recently um, so in terms of your travels so two questions firstly uh, what's the best place you've travelled to uh, but just in general, we're not talking about okay. history here. All and then right. secondly, like secondly, my question is when it comes to travels, because people might think, okay, Mecca, Medina, right. and then Jerusalem might have some history. But then, right. are there any places we can go to in terms of our history that we can connect with? So that's that's kind of like the second part of the question. Okay, so the best place that I've been to, uh, that's a very hard question <laughs> because, I mean, uh, living UK? in Medina, you're like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Okay, so but, so the, honestly, if I were to say travel to, yeah. uh, you just have to do it this way. I mean, Mecca and Med- Medina, Mecca and, course, and yeah. Quds, hands down. I think everybody should just go to Quds. Mm. Uh, one of the thing, beautiful things is we take um, like almost 500 people with uh, Al-Buruj in the last uh, 10 nights of Ramadan and seeing that many British Muslims represent is just like amazing. Yeah. So I'm constantly telling my American, you know, for those Americans who are listening to this, you just got to go to Aqsa. You got to represent. Uh, you have to, you know, show the legacy we have by visiting that place and, mm. and, and you know, uh, being able to visit it. And one of the things about Quds is the history is actually there and it comes alive. I mean, you're looking at the southern wall of Masjid al-Aqsa. That's a wall the Prophet himself saw, And there's places where the Sahaba actually saw and passed by, like Abu Sufyan when he's going through the entrance of Jerusalem. It's still there. Wow. It's still there, like under, underneath the ground it's been preserved. So it allows you to appreciate your history in such a way that you've never even imagined. For example, like going to Masjid Umar, etc. So mm-hmm. outside of that, obviously, um, I'm a person that finds history wherever they go. So <clears throat> even, in, even in London, yeah. there's a Muslim history tour you all know about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, going to Denmark, there's, a, there's actually a, a tour that they do in particular with Muslim history that it's in Denmark. Um, so everywhere I go, I try to find what it was the Muslim uh, contribution to that particular place. Now, my on my bucket list uh, is to go to inshallah uh, Spain uh, very very soon inshallah mm. and India, India. Um, and then eventually also I've been invited to go to Africa to a few places and 
obviously one place we've literally neglected more than anything is the uh, uh, the spread of Islam and Islamic history in Africa. Like beyond even understanding. The, I mean, many people don't even know the um, the rule of Uthman Danfodio and how he spread Islam in Africa. Uh, and that's that's a travesty. Like it's 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 horrible. Um, we don't even know about the fall of the Umayyads in Andalus. Then where did they go? They went to Morocco. So the strong Moroccan history, as well as Libya, and then mm. the north of the north of Africa and Egypt, of course, has has a strong history even in the Ottoman period. Um, so for us to tap into these different narratives, you know what it is. A lot of people think it's oh, this is not my history, so why should I learn about it? Yeah. Well, this leads us to something else. Prior to ninety years ago we did not ascribe to anything except the Muslim domain. Mm. The idea of our nationalities is only less than 100 years old. So when you're ascribing yourself to the nation state that came about of the end of the Muslim domain, uh, a lot of people don't understand that, yo, only your parents and your grandparents mm. ascribe to an identity which prior to that 700 years of Muslims didn't ascribe to. Mm. Wow. So when you tap into that narrative, you're actually tapping into your own history. You're actually tapping into something that Muslims ascribe themselves to, the Muslim domain. It was under the Ottoman. So like, for example, now, right now, if I tell you, are you Ottoman? You're like, I'm not Turkish. <laughs> yeah. The construct of that nation state idea is what split the Muslim domain. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? So when somebody says I'm Pakistani mm. or I'm Indian, I'm Afghan, etc., this didn't exist over 90 years ago. Like the country's 80 years old or 100 years old, so less than that. people would have just said what? I'm, I'm Muslim. I'm Muslim or I'm Ottoman. Ottoman meaning I'm Mus under the Muslim domain. And the one of the most beautiful things is under the Muslim domain, you were considered Ottoman based on the millet system, meaning it doesn't matter your religion. So there's Ottomans who are Christian, there's Ottomans who are Jewish, there's Ottomans who are Muslim. Mm. And they didn't differentiate anyone as long as you lived under the Muslim ummah. And that's exactly what our Prophet ﷺ taught, is that the Muslim ummah is two. One of them is Ummah al-Da'wah. Anyone who was under the Prophet, after the Prophet's life or during his life until the Day of Judgment is part of the Ummah of Muhammad Sallallahu So the Ottoman has actually implemented that. They're mm -hmm. like, yo, you live, in our, you live within our domain. You're a citizen. You're, you're an Ottoman. Yeah. You're not looked at as anything. Um, and then there's obviously Ummah al-Ijabah because we have Ummah al-Da'wah and Ummah al-Ijabah. Ummah al-Ijabah is all those who accepted the, the call of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu So when you lived under the, the Ottomans, uh, people ascribed their um, themselves, their identity to the Muslim domain. Mm -hmm. So they would say, I'm from Sindh, but I'm Ottoman. Like the Afghans, they were under the Durrani uh, Empire. They're, they would say, we're, we're Afghan, but we're Ottoman. Ottoman. Yeah, so same, similar with North Africa, etc. So the idea is when you're tapping into that, you should tap into not the constructs that have been made. You should tap into it and understand based on how Muslims viewed themselves in that period of time. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So um, you mentioned, okay, so we've spoken about um, you can just simply learn about history by reading books or, or you right. can go to the sites themselves. But then you mentioned another point, which is nowadays you have the, uh, the, the, the drama dramas yeah. <laughs> that have come out. And uh, to be honest, like through these dramas, people are a lot more conscious about history now, 100%. right? I, I remember, okay, I tell you the first one that I watched, which right. is Musa Musalsal Umar. Oh, right, right, right. So right. that was like the first kind of like, yeah. you know, dramatization of Mashallah, a yeah. particular, you know, individual, not not just anyone that came later. This is like a Sahabi, right? Right, right, right. Um, so for me, when I first watched it, I was like, wow, like everything's quite on point. Personally, I think that in the Arabic, right, the right. The, the the acting, the right. uh, the accuracy, everything was really on point. Right. So that was like the first thing that I came across. So I was like, okay, brilliant. And many people were speaking about it. Um, but now you have like you know you have the the air tool right right um, which is which is everyone like let's not let's not hide away from it right, everyone sure. is talking about it right <laughs> right whether you watch Everybody's it or been not watching it for the past yeah, six yeah. months right? <laughs> and, and, and and I know and I know those, those of the the people who are secretly watching it as well they're trying right. to say I'm not interested in air tool and they're watching it as well right? <laughs> right so you have you have all of these um, but everyone knows about air tool now because of this drama right. a lot of people before this they had no clue who this right. man was right, right, right. Um, and uh, so, so let's focus on this one for now right. so what's like what firstly what's your take on <laughs> what's your take on uh, this this the whole drama series? drama yeah. series stuff okay so listen um, when it comes to the, the for example you've mentioned the Umar series <clears throat> Musal yeah. Umar honestly the first person to tell me about any drama series like this prior to that was the message like we've all seen the message yeah, yeah, yeah. right and the message was like it was so powerful it actually was the only seal that people knew for many years. Mm. And people like, even now, because it's so old, they don't even know it. Yeah. Um, so the first drama series that I heard about was from my dad. 
Okay. And my dad is like the last human being that I would ever tell you to go watch a movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Literally. Like he's like, no. And so when he told me, he's like, watch it. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, yeah watch it. And uh, he's like, I've been telling my uh, non-Muslim coworkers yeah. uh, at the hospital at his job to watch it. Mm. And he's like, and I was like massively surprised. Like my dad is the last yeah, human yeah, being yeah, would yeah. watch any movie for sure, <laughs> but much a drama series. So I started watching it. And when I started watching it, it's Omar Radiallahu who making tawaf. Yeah, yeah. And when I saw Omar, I turned it off immediately. I was just like upset. Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not what he looks like, and you know, whatever his beard. Yeah, yeah. And the way, he, but then um, my dad was like, no, trust me, watch it. So I watched the whole thing, and dude, I've never been like so affected yeah. by a series ever. Like, yeah, I, yeah. there's times where you just gotta like turn it off because it's that powerful yeah, and emotional. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like you said, um, that series, in terms of accuracy, Mm. Uh, was uh, four scholars, some of the some of the greatest scholars of Sira worked on the script yeah. on that. Sheikh Salman Auda, may Allah free him from uh, from prison, mm. and uh, Sheikh Abdul Habib Tariri, Sheikh Yusuf Al Qardawi, and Sheikh uh, Akram Diyal Umari. Uh, so these four scholars worked on the script. So it's it's in terms of accuracy, it's one of the most accurate things you will find. Now there mm. are three things that which uh, again spoiler alert for those people who are listening. <laughs> I'm just gonna you know like Rafiq was saying funny. <laughs> he made a uh, he made a video about uh, something in a, a tour called Turgut Al. Yeah. And uh, somebody was like, hey, you should have said spoiler alert. So, <laughs> so Rafiq was like, history is the biggest spoiler alert. Right? So, so anyway. Uh, so anyway, being... Um, so are they going to be spoiler alerts? So oh, for, there, sure. Yeah? for sure. If you, if you don't want spoiler alerts about Arturo anyway, or... So. Else, yeah, so just, you know, maybe you want to move yeah, forward yeah. or something. Or you guys can do timestamps. But um, when it came to uh, three things, number one, like Rayhana and Wahshi's like whole love triangle. Yeah. This is like, you know, yeah, 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 they just yeah. had to put that there because it's NBC <laughs> and, you know, you yeah, gotta, yeah. that thing made no sense. Number two, um, they did not focus on some of the most pivotal moments like the Battle of Badr and Uhud as much as they should have. Okay. Because that, those are pivotal moments yeah, in the yeah. life of Umar, even if you don't want to talk about the seela. And lastly, um, I'm actually glad about this. They didn't depict the Sahaba the way they really looked like. Okay. And I'm glad about this. Mm. You know why? Because when we watched the message... Like, bro, for the rest of my life, I used to always imagine Bilal like that. Mm. Or Hamza. You know what I mean? So it would, like, ruin my head. Like, every time I think about a Bakr, I would think... So the depictions of the Sahaba are so off. Like, yeah. for example, Ali looks like straight Persian, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. So he, he didn't look like Persian. He actually... he Ali <laughs> was balding and he was chubbier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they make them look like tanks, you know, mashallah. Mm. And, like, Khalid Murid is just like a beast. <laughs> so, uh, I think that's a good thing. And, obviously, the there is a controversy. The controversy of the scholars discussing whether you should depict Sahaba or not is a difference of opinion among scholars. Mm. I take the view of uh, my teachers and Sheikh Hatim al-Awni Sharif, uh, the great scholar in Mecca, mm. which saying this is allowed as an educational experience yeah. for people, especially in our time, where we're audiovisual and we're so separated at from our history, mm. um, that it's actually a help and a good thing. And then yeah. leading up to Arturo, uh, <laughs> Arturo is is um, is was an amazing um, series in the way they scripted it and inserting Islamic themes there, which in reality never happened, but it's okay, right? <laughs> so w- the idea was we take a reality of history but then dramatize the entire thing yeah. and maintain the overarching chronology of the Muslims mm. uh, as well as the themes that were present presented there. So one of the most powerful things about Arturo is the idea of a noble man, a man who lives based on the, 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 the characteristics of what Islam teaches a man to be like, yeah. to take care, and to be honorable, and to never lie, and to never cheat, mm. and uh, even if it's against himself, support <clears throat> the weak. So the idea, yeah. basically the archetype of the of the man, of the Muslim man was presented in a leader called yeah. Arturo. Um, and then you have the second aspect of look at, look at how powerful the seerah is presented in Arturo. Mm. Uh, and and it, it gave you uh, a practical example of how to take instructional lessons from the life of the Prophet yeah. The whole thing. In fact, yeah, yeah. if somebody does this, by the way, I'm like for the ill-feed crowd, <laughs> is just go to Arturo, the whole thing, and just take out all the moments of Sirah was, when it was talked about by Ibn Arabi and by uh, uh, Dili Demir and all the other characters yeah, yeah. and just make, you can literally do the entire Sirah from season one till season, uh, I think, four. You mm. can do all of the uh, life of the Prophet mm. through their stories. Literally, the whole thing is there. Everything. Yeah. And what they did is the powerful moments that um, was in the life of the Prophet they showed how you can help you know overcome your own difficulties mm. and, and moments of happiness as well etc um, 
so that aspect is is just on point um as far as the overarching historical uh, narrative the major events are accurate the major events like you know for example the kai tribe coming to anatolia yeah. um arturo being who he is the fact that he married halima sultan and then i'm spoil <laughs> major major spoiler alert all right the <laughs> fact that he he died and was buried next to her in Saud. Yeah. Uh, right. That did not happen in the series, <laughs> okay. and that that uh, like destroyed everybody's like taste. Oh no way. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't know that, and now. No, no, no. <laughs> so basically, give myself a spoiler. All right. So, so, <laughs> I'm sorry, no, but the point being is, uh, uh, the, like the overarching themes, uh, yeah. were pretty much accurate, with a few exceptions. With a few exceptions. One of them is, for example, and this is the romanticization aspect of it. There was no discussion of the Abbasid Khilafa. Mm. Absolutely none. And the reality is the, Sulj, the Seljuk Empire was actually uh, in support of the Abbasids. They were considered a sultanate under the Abbasids. And during the Abbasids, there were, there were seven different empires that existed during the time of the Abbasids. The Seljuk were one of them, mm. right? And the Mamluk were on the other, the, uh, the other side of the uh, Arabian Peninsula. And then you had the uh, Ayyubids as well. And then you had the North Africans. There was four, Af- four there. And then you had the Umayyads in, the, in Andalus. Mm. So the Muslim empire was not your ideal Khilafah like you saw in the Khilafah al-Rashidin. And that teaches us lessons from it. Is mm. that, look, there were differences among Muslims. But then they, a lot of them were, uh, were localized kingdoms or sult- sultanates, domains, that um, did not negate the Khilafah. Mm. And that is why Imam Suyuti, the funny thing is, when he talks about the Umayyads in Andalus, he's like, and we're not even going to talk about them. He has a book called Tariq al-Khulafa, mm. uh, the history of the, of the caliphates. He said, we're not even going to talk about them because they were a caliphate that, did not, that negated the, the real caliphate of the Abbasids. Okay. So the idea of the caliphate was very strong even among mm. the sultanates. Uh, and Arturo did not talk about them at all. And also they made the caliphate of the Ayyubids seem like just some, you know, some, you know the Al-Aziz, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a real guy. And they made him look like he's, you know, some kid who doesn't know what he's doing. In reality, that was not the case. The guy was a strong man. He was the grandson of Salah al-Din Ayyubi. And um, they also brought in actually a very famous scholar named Baha din who was the judge, if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they made him look like he takes uh, bribes. Yeah, That's yeah. really horrible, man. Because okay. that man was one of the most righteous scholars of, really? of, of Aleppo <laughs> at that time. Wow. So, so these kind of inaccuracies, you know, mm. it might play a big role. Thinking that, oh, Muslims were just taking bribes. and No, 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 no. Mm. The Ayyubids were very strong at a certain point. And um, that's why the Seljuks uh, mm. intermarried with them. So yeah. Ala Adin actually married the uh, sister of Al-Aziz in, in, the, uh, in the series. But in reality, it was his niece. So that's okay. also a small inaccuracy in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and overall, the idea is the series is amazing in, in, in one or two main ways. If that was the only reason, then Hamda would be good enough. Number one, it actually shows you, um, you know, how human beings were imperfect. Mm. Um, and also the ideals that they lived up to, the identity that like they kind of, that they drew from in their day-to-day lives. And that's mm. why when you saw the Sira lessons, they were so powerful. Like remember mm. when the Kai tribe was being kicked out and yeah, like yeah. they don't have anything. And what do they do? They give the story of the Prophet being exiled from Mecca. Mm. And that's like, wow. You can actually see people who are going through real suffering, yeah. but they draw lessons from the life of Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's what you said basically, making it relevant. A hundred percent. Initially, yeah. And it's so beautiful because it's not only just relevancy. There's a difference between like you go on site and it's, you see it in front of yeah, you yeah. and then you see an entire series. And that's mm. why I really recommend, even maybe Umfit, inshallah, we can work on it someday, <laughs> is that I, honestly what I want to do, one of the things I'm working towards is uh, like f- massively fund uh, more series to be made. Mm. So what you do is you you provide specialists to just work on this uh, on this. You get ghostwriters to write the script. Uh, the historical accuracies are just filmed and yeah. then um, uh, are uh, checked, and then you make more series. That's mm. how people learn. So I would love for people to learn history in that way. Um, inshallah. Inshallah. Very good. Um, let's come back a bit because um, yeah. uh, just for like a history one on one lesson, especially mm. tying it in a virtual because a lot of people just a lot of people might not even know about it. You know the, right. the series, or those who are watching it might just think oh, it's just a drama, and you I know we're, we're, just, the we're enjoying it. Yeah, <laughs> we're enjoying this, so you know. Right. <laughs> but uh, so coming all the way back then, just right. to, because we, I just want to know like in terms of the relevance, you know, why was Erturu so relevant for? Right. Um, why was he such a pivotal 
you know, figure in history. Right. Um, so starting from the beginning, okay. so of course, this man definitely existed. We know right. that for sure. And he was the son of this man called Suleiman Shah. Right. Um, but why Why do you think they picked Ertuğrul for and not? Because we know who his son was, Uthman. Right. right. Who later on is considered the the founder right. of the Ottoman. So right. why do you think they picked Ertuğrul? Is it just because they wanted to long out the, <laughs> <laughs> the series? Right, or, right, right. You know, was he like actually the pivotal figure? That we're seeing him to be in the in the action series. Okay, so so check this out. I'm yeah. going to tell you uh, something that this needs to be said. Okay. When we discuss any element of just a science or mm. even a discipline, we have to understand that they're specialists of this field. Of course, yeah. I am not an Ottoman historian in <clears throat> any sense of the word. I'm a person that has interest in history. Yeah. My specialization is the early Islamic uh, conquest and the early uh, early Islamic period in general, which yeah. is life of the Prophet and Khulafa Rashidin. There are people who are uh, specialists who deserve to talk about this in a much mm. deeper way. But uh, what I will say is what I what I do know. Um, is that Arturo, the reason why he was chosen is, as you said, is he's the figure that basically allowed for the establishment of the Ottoman state, mm-hmm. the Ottoman domain. Um, and f- that was due to a number of reasons. So I'm going to give you an overview of that. When the Mongols basically came, they decimated the Muslim domain and lands all the way until they got to Anatolia. And what they did is they attacked the Seljuk Empire until they enforced them to pay them taxes. So the Muslim uh, Seljuks basically ended up being under the rule of the Mongols. And some would consider this even selling out to mm. some, you know, if you were to look at it from a very yeah, postmodern yeah. perspective. They weren't selling, they were just trying to preserve the Muslim mm-hmm. domains. So what eventually what happened is the, the Seljuk <clears throat> Empire kind of uh, completely f- broke down. And th- that empire and the, the, uh, the, uh, the, the Turks that were under them, they split up into what's called smaller kingdoms. And among the kingdoms was Arturo's kingdom. Okay. And it was, they were called Baydams, basically small uh, states that con- comprised of uh, independent ruled sultanates. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, the Mongols destroyed everybody. Like they destroyed the, yeah. the Khawarizma, which also is not mentioned in, the, in Arturo. Mm-hmm. Khawarizma is like a huge empire, huge empire, uh, which was in uh, Afghanistan and uh, areas of uh, obviously Sindh and and Iran, and uh, they killed 2.4 million people in just Herat, Afghanistan, wow. because they uh, they uh, had an uprising against them. Mm. Then they came to Baghdad and they they killed the the the, the Khilafa. Mm. Uh, they destroyed the Khilafa and uh, killed one million people there, uh, and they oh. created because they were just so vicious. Um, they and if and if they had not kept coming uh, until they reached a place called Ain Jalut, where the Muslims actually gathered. And uh, the Mamluks uh, led that, which is also not mentioned in Arturo until season five. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, the idea of uh, a very powerful Mamluk sultan by the name of Zahir Bebris. Uh, that sultan never lost a battle in his life, okay. and he lived during Arturo's time. And Arturo makes a pact with him in season five. Spoiler. <laughs> so he makes a pact, but he's never mentioned in the entire series. That guy was one of the most like dopest G's in all of Islamic history. He never lost a battle against the Crusaders or the Mongols. So what happens is they uh, make a stand on uh, the battle of Ain Jalut against the Mongols. And they beat them. They defeat them. If they did not defeat them, the historians would have said the Mongols would have taken over Mecca and Medina. Really? They Literally, it stopped them from coming into the into the Holy Lands and all that stuff. So it's actually stopped the Mongol push mm. uh, and defeated the Mongols and allowed the Muslim domain to <clears throat> literally exist after that. One of the be- most beautiful lessons of this and allowed me to actually like, okay, like what happened to the Mongols? And I'll tell you why it all ties into Arturo mm. is it allows you to understand that Allah, for th- in, in one of the only times in history, made these people accept Islam. The, the Mongols, Mongols accepted Islam. Yeah. So the Mongols, they, they, they took over the Muslim domains yeah, they had they did they massacred and did like you know raping and pillaging as you mm. can imagine to the to the worst degree, like one of the one of the leaders of the Muslims they made him eat gold until he died. Wow, like this is just one savage, yeah, yeah they're just absolute savagery. But they ended up uh, differing over themselves after um, Genghis Khan passed away and Ogadai Khan took over and then mm. uh, his sons decided to, they they couldn't agree so they divided themselves into four Ilkhanates. Three out of the four Ilkhanates accepted Islam. Wow. And it's just mind-blowing, mind-blowing, because they appreciated knowledge. They appreciated the arts. Mm. And that is why even in Afghanistan, there's a whole section which uh, of people called the, the Hazara who are the remnants of those Mongol Ilkhanis who accepted Islam. Mm. Um, 
And that is why it's, it's very interesting. When you talk about Arturo and the historical uh, significance of why they chose him, it might have been actually for two main reasons. Number one, uh, Arturo's life, there's like almost nothing known about. <laughs> yeah. So when there's nothing known about somebody, the details, you can kind of fill in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's literally the entire story of Arturo is filled in, except the major events, Alhamdulillah, well, we know. For example, like his sons, we know uh, his wife's yeah. wives, because a lot of people think, oh, Arturo never remarried. Well... It Sorry. Ruins, it ruins, yeah, it ruins the <laughs> right, right, right. So Arturo actually uh, is known uh, to possibly have more than one wife, and uh-huh. like uh, so these kind of things. Like obviously, again, the idealism problem. Yeah. Because oh, it didn't fit my uh, my perception of what's ideal, yeah, so I'm yeah, romanticizing yeah. it. Uh-huh. Um, and I, the second reason also I think is because it allows a um, um, starting point. Yeah. which you can grow from in uh, entertainment, and <laughs> it will be like a never-ending yeah, yeah, series. Yeah. So after Osman. Uh, after Arturo, there'll be Osman. Everybody knows that yeah. already. There's going to yeah, be another yeah, yeah, series yeah. called Osman. And after Osman, is going to be Orhan. And after Orhan, so... So, and it also is based... Remember, entertainment is based on how much uh, viewership and money yeah, you get yeah, at the end of the day. Yeah. So if we're interested, ideally you have a series of like 20 years uh, talking <laughs> wow. about the establishment of the of the Ottoman uh, domain yeah. uh, all the way until obviously you have Muhammad al-Fatih, which I think they're going to redo. You reckon? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Like everybody's into the Muhammad al-Fatih. The problem is though, Muhammad al-Fatih. Ideally, the main <laughs> thing he did is, uh, is the is the conqueror of Constantinople, of Istanbul, mm-hmm. right? Modern day Istanbul. Uh, and then after that, pretty much his life was interesting policies that you know were not necessarily ideal, yeah. uh, even amongst Muslims and his and his policies. But again, um. The reason I think Arturo resonates with people so much is because of the themes we talked about, the the powerful imagery. It has more to do with entertainment than it has to do necessarily with his story itself because we don't know much about it. I mean, I've I've spoken to like uh, Professor Yaqub from Istanbul University. Mm. Uh, He's one of the most foremost scholars in the Ottoman history. He's actually from, he's British. Okay. Uh, But he um, moved to Istanbul University and... um, He's a professor there of Ottoman history as well as uh, Islamic history in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had, you know, amazing conversations about this aspect. Um, and ultimately, it's about the idea of people uh, maintaining their Muslim identity under the uh, Ottoman domain. Um, and I think that's why they chose Arturo in general a lot. At what point, by the way, did, uh, did the Mongols come to accept Islam? So this was uh, in the later 15th and 14th centuries. So okay. it, it, what they did is they Khanates when they separated mm. and they had um, uh, control over the Muslim uh, rule. What they allowed, uh, what they essentially did is allow Muslims to live and according to their, uh, their faith. Mm. And anyone they controlled, they said, live according to your faith. And the scholars were very, very widely accepted. They mm. allowed them to, to spread. There was no persecution of religion. Mm. At, a, at a, the later the Khanate stage, when that happened, what does it do? Subhanallah, it's the same concept of Hudaybiyah in the life of the Prophet The Prophet signed a pact with the Quraysh for ten years of peace, mm. and uh, the war would end. And what does it essentially do? As one of our teachers, Sheikh Abdullah Shankiti, mentions in Medina, the best way Islam has spread and will spread is to is to have righteous Muslims in a society. And that's literally, you see that in the Mongol period. Mm. So in, from like the 13th, 15th century, you have the Mongols accepting absolute freedom of religion, the scholars having a space, and eventually working their way up to the courts of the Mongol leaders. Mm. And it influenced them to such an extent they accepted Islam. Literally, we know their names and the scholars that lived among mm. their time. And there's a really, really nice book, uh, if you are interested in that period, because literally they... they they dominated from you know a good 300 years. Yeah. It's called Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World. Um, it gives you a lot of uh, fill-in for, uh, for the background of Arturo and the time period that he lived in. And then the rest of it, you kind of have to just fill in. You have yeah. to know about the Mamluks. You have to know about the Seljuks. Uh, and there's a number of works you can read about that. Um, mm-hmm. But then you, you, when you construct the entire picture for yourself, you see what the Muslim Ummah lived through. And you look at the savagery that the Mongols had and then when you look at what we're going through now, you're like, wait, this is not the worst the Muslims have been. Yeah. And that's why history is so cool. Because when you look at how, how, bad, it le- how bad it got, mm. and then you're talking about the, f- the, the fall of the Muslim domain in 1924, mm. comparing it to what we're going through now, it's not as bad as what the Mongols did in many sense. True. I'm talking about 2.4 million, 2.4 million genocide in one city, Herat, Afghanistan. So what does it make you do? It makes you look and hope for the future. 
Mm. And um, generally, I think there's a lot of benefit in, in historically tying in to what you may be interested uh, in, the, uh, in the drama series that you watch. Yeah. And uh, another quick question about um, how far uh, the Ottoman Empire actually extended. Because I know already at the beginning you've said that not so long ago people were ascribing themselves and they were saying we're Muslims. But even if you said Ottoman, it didn't mean necessarily you're a Turk, right? 100%. So how far, uh, just to give us a, an idea, how far did it spread? I mean, it went to the entire uh, North Africa mm. uh, and it went to uh, uh, the south of as as uh, influencing Somalia and the surrounding areas of, of Ethiopia, etc. As far as to the borders of Mongolia. Right. And then you had literally into Europe, control mm. of Greece and Italy at one point as well was <laughs> under Muslim control. And then yeah. they, they lost it for a period. So there was a period of, of, of massive uh, loss of these lands in Europe, particularly mm. Hungary, Bulgaria, Greece, Cyprus, uh, Italy, like we said, <laughs> were, were under Muslim control at <laughs> some point. And that's why um, uh, when you talk about modern constructions of, of what it meant to be part of these countries or these states, uh, it, it all of it is based on how we look at the idea of the nation state. Mm. At the end of World War One, when the Muslim domains were literally split up by the empires that won, so the British and uh, the Allies that w- that that won that war are the ones who literally cut up the entirety of this Muslim domain mm. and sold it to the highest bidder, which they had they had contracts with. So Sykes Pico, uh, the British Mandate of Palestine. Uh, and then uh, the Saudi state with Abdulaziz. Uh, and you guys know the story of Lawrence of Arabia and how mm. the influence of the British uh, and working with the Saudi state occurred in that pr- particular part of time. So this is something that, that we live from to this day. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, the British occupation of, of uh, Pakistan and India at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then the British occupation, uh, that, which wasn't lasting too much for in Afghanistan as well in the 1840s. Uh, all of these things, when when we came out of it, it created actually an, an identity which was foreign to Islam, the nation state, the idea of nations focusing on their nationality rather than a domain which they all belong to, uh, which which was decentralized. Yeah. The Muslim domain was not a uh, authoritarian leader which ran day to day lives. The Muslim domain was decentralized, so every portion of the Muslim world was controlled by a uh, leader. Uh, and that leader collected taxes and ran the functions of that particular, for example, like Muhammad Ali Pasha in Egypt, or you have Sindh and etc. Mm. And then um, they reported to the to the to the to the caliph or the the main sultan, mm. uh, which was, a, a, for example, at the end of it, Sultan Abdul Hamid Thani. Um, and that is why it leads me to another thing. We talked about Arturo, but there's yeah. dice, there's a, there's another drama that's kind of making its way up, which is Pai Takht Abdul Hamid. So yeah. so Arturo. Uh, gives you the idea of what it was like for Muslims to establish that Muslim domain within mm. that time. And again, with the overarching themes of, uh, of, I- of the idealism they tried to uh, live up to of yeah. the, from the Prophet's life and the chivalry and honor, etc. Paitaht Abdul Hamid actually gives you a real perspective of what the policies were within the Muslim world, what eventually led to the, uh, uh, to the fall and, uh, and splitting of the Muslim ummah what were the causes of that? So mm-hmm. you have two, one of them which is internal, one of them which is external. Yeah. And Paitakht Abdul Hamid allows you to like really see how foreign powers kind of like joined mm. against the Muslim domain. And that's very powerful. Yeah. Uh, it allows you to see like, hold on a second. Uh, there are people who are considering themselves enemies in the world at that time. Mm. But they joined forces against the, the, the power of the Ottoman because they were just so strong. Yeah. Um, and the Muslim domain had had this kind of issue. The second issue that led to the cause of the splitting of the Muslims is that literally, unfortunately, the Muslim uh, leaders of some of these uh, areas, uh, they started to vie for leadership. They started mm-hmm. to v- uh, internally disagree. So this internal combustion among the Muslim domain uh, led to, um, led to uh, also weakening. Mm-hmm. Uh, is when, when you don't have a strong... Uh, body which is supported by every part of its you know branches and limbs then it will allow for a foreign power to influence so when you watch sultan abdul hamid don't just watch it for the drama and you know like what's yeah, going yeah. on watch it in the overarching theme of what's going on it's one man trying to literally hold the entirety of europe for just literally coming and being resource driven savages i mean that's exactly mm-hmm. what it was and that's why shashi tarur in one of his books inglorious empire is a must read. You know why? Because the idea that 
the imperial colonizers came into the countries to bring civilization is complete nonsense. This is complete nonsense. It, they were resource hungry driven. So yeah. coming to the colonization of, of, of Africa or the colonization of, of Asia is all because of the, the, the hunger for wanting those resources mm. and decimating our educational institutions, decimating our economical institutions. Um, and when you think about the contributions Muslims have made in that period of time, there are none. Why? Because the Muslim domain was destroyed in 1924 and the period of decline did not allow for the contributions to increase. But at the same time, what the scholars did and the and <clears throat> scientists and people who, um, people who had contributions, they engaged the problems that existed. So they actually wrote about, and now in a language of what happens if the Muslim domain is now split up. Yeah. And we learn a lot of lessons from that. For example, like uh, Mawlana Ashraf Ali Tanvi. So his writings are literally, he was born in 1863 and, and died in the mid-19th uh, uh, century, right? Or early 19th century. So he lived literally in that time and he's a great scholar from South Asia. So when you read his writings, he's engaging that, that, that time period. What it is like when we've lost everything for the first time in Muslim history. Mm. We've lost the entirety of the Muslim domain. There's not even a single one left, right? Um, and then you have the 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 idea now how are muslims going to live autonomously you know independently mm. um and it's very it's very <clears throat> good to engage that history in that sense so i think that the, <laughs> the summary is there's a lot there's a lot there's a to lot read. Yeah. there's a lot to know um and, and i guess we can't even you know attempt to cover it <laughs> in, in a single right. episode of the on feed podcast but i want to touch on um you know how even in Ertural, by the way you have um you have a lot of what they call ihanat, right? Or we would call right. Khiana, right? Khiana, right, right, betrayal right. taking place. Right. Um, like we're talking in-house, you know, like Muslims. We're talking even family members, right? right. So I think uh, when I had a, a previous conversation with you, you said like this is real. Like 100%. this was this was like an integral. <laughs> this, this led to the downfall of Muslims essentially. Right. Um, so let's talk a bit about that. Uh, and also, because we're talking about making history relevant as well, right. just bringing it into, <laughs> it's, I don't right. know, it's, it might be controversial, but just right. bringing it to, in, into our time, um, you know, what's happening now okay, with the Muslims so, and, and the sort of like internal battles that we're having, you know, right, it's, it's a bit of a deep question, but let's, let's no, discuss. <laughs> okay, so first of all, from the, from the series Arturo itself, mm. we're talking about the Khianat or the Ihanat or the treason or the... Mm. A deception that you had within the one figure that represents that, which was like the dopest actor in the whole thing, probably uh, in terms of Saadeddin Quebec, yeah. right? <laughs> Saadeddin Quebec was one of the most accurately depicted individuals in that entire thing. Yeah, he uh, was a person that um, knew how to manipulate the Seljuks mm. so that if he if he were to kill the Sultan, they would uprise against him. So mm. he knew how to manipulate. Uh, Al Adin's sons. So mm. when Al Adin, uh, w w you know, was killed, yeah. he uh, knew how to manipulate his sons to take power. This is real. This is not any kind of mm. fake. Um, and eventually, what he did is he uh, killed two of Al Adin's sons and his wife. Mm. So the guy was like, uh, you know, a, like the poster child of, of 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 what it means to basically uh, commit treachery against the Muslim uh, domain yeah. uh, for his own benefit. This one guy. Mm. Um, and this kind of also fed into when the Seljuks were under the Mongols. Um, there were people who were like, why are we accepting this level of humiliation? Uh, and there was a discussion of being, uh, of why are we giving taxes to the Mongols when we can have autonomy and just fight against them? Yeah. So some people, they literally believe that we can't, uh, we can't stand mm. against them. So we just have to accept it at this point in time. Um, the idea of this treachery and treason or working for your own benefit um, is obviously something that we see in our time. I mean, the nation states that came about were because people made deals. They cut deals with colonizers. Yeah. This is just a historical reality. So when you're looking at it, uh, some of the remnants of that remain to this day. Mm. Uh, and, and that's why history is so important. Uh, it allows us to see the reality in which it is. Um, and obviously, the development of those countries is... Is, is came and stemmed from that but then what you have now alhamdulillah is you have a, a rise of uh, a number of, of, of Muslim leaders which are re-identifying with the identity of Islam rather than the nation state itself 
Um, and, and that is very important because remember that the, the idea of the nation state is only less than 100 years old. Mm. We identified <clears throat> with the Muslim domain for hundreds of years prior to that. So I think ultimately the revival that you're seeing uh, coming about um, comes from uh, a sense of self-awareness. Yeah. Uh, so the more we as a community are aware of our legacy and our identity, that was for 700 years, yeah. the more we stop um, causing divisions and divisive rhetoric based on your nationality, your ethnic, I'm Bengali, you're, you're Indian, and that person's Afghani, and this person's from uh, any part of the Arab world, mm. um, you know, Moroccan and Algerian and Tunisian and whatever. Um, the idea is that when we start to uh, attribute uh, and identify with a history that we've literally been had forced amnesia on us, where people who don't hold our values and our ideals constructed a narrative of history for us, mm. it'll allow us to draw from the strength of, of unifying. And the more we have that rhetoric among our community that, listen, Islam is what unites us. Yeah. Islam is what gives us strength. <clears throat> we will, inshallah, stop people uh, from um, uh, you know, continuing their selfish uh, wants for, for power or leadership for, for, the, for their own good, but rather mm. for the greater good of Islam and Muslims. And Hamza, you're, start, you're starting to see that now. Like yeah. we all, we see the horrible events that are happening in the world and we kind of be like, you know, you start feeling like when is the good going to come? Mm. But you also have to notice the good. Many of these Muslim countries came from uh, inf infringed secularism, right? So they're coming now into a, a, a democracy which they're moving forward towards, um, you know, uh, uh, reinvigorating their Islamic identity mm. through the, uh, the modern constructions of these states. Uh, and it's, it's a process, bro. Uh, we're sitting here in, in our seats, you know, uh, judging a lot of the Muslim lands yeah. and you don't understand that they've been decimated for a hundred years. Literally mm. every aspect from political to economic to social was decimated. They had to rebuild. Um, so when, when you, when you see that end goal and what they're trying to reach and what they came from, yeah. from Turkey to, to Malaysia, uh, to countries in Africa, uh, even the Palestinian, uh, issue right now you realize that we're, we're in a transformation period. Mm. We're in a period of transformation. You and I right now, if you look at the times between the Mongols uh, taking and decimating everybody and the rise of Arturo and Osman, yeah. and then Orhan, particularly <clears throat> in the Ottoman, the Ottoman domain, we're yeah. literally in that transformation stage. So that's the beauty of the series, right? Mm. So when you look at it like, oh, wait a minute, the Mongols literally decimated everybody, destroyed the Muslim domains. Yeah. Baghdad was gone, man. Yeah, yeah. The Khilafah is over. So it happened before. So that transformation period was built on the, the backs and sacrifices of men and women who upheld to the ideals of, of what Islam taught them. Mm. And when, you, when, you, when you've attached yourself to that kind of identity, it allowed Muslims to join um, and, and, and reinvigorate the idea of the Muslim domain and to last it until 1924. And it's not going away, alhamdulillah. Yeah. The Prophet mentioned that to us, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, just uh, on on one kind of last point about the the show itself about right. Turul. Um, I guess you have you have one extreme which we've kind of t touched on, which is um, you know like watching the show, not looking into the history at all, romanticizing this, right. having this idea in your head. So I guess that's one right. one extreme. Literally just watching it, entertainment, Netflix, right, you know, right, kind right. of thing. And then you you might have like the other side, which is people not watching it at all because right. they're just like. You know, like, right. I, I, don't, I don't want to watch it. And, you know, they might even give Islamic reasons for it. Like, right. you know, there's music and there's right. women dressed in a certain way. Right. Um, so I don't know, like, uh, would you would you, would you you say, like, just let it be kind of thing and you guys carry on the way you are because you've got your reasons? Or would, right. you, would you actually encourage these people? No, you, maybe you should kind of, like, well, uh, look into it. This is starting to become like a fiqh question, right? <laughs> fiqh, I'm trying not to. No, but it is. The, yeah, so, yeah. Which is good because fiqh, I, and essentially, which which I'm leading to, is, mm. subhanAllah, our... our um, uh, fiqh is so vibrant that it's it, Islam is an alive, it's an organic system. Mm. It, and what that means is that it caters to every person's individual, you know, palate and yeah. also situation. So it, there's an aspect of fiqh called murat hal al-mustafti. You take into consideration everybody's scenario and, and situation. Mm. So some people, for example, they don't feel comfortable with the Sahaba being depicted. And there's a great number of scholars that have that view. Yeah. And I respect you a lot. You don't need it and you're good in your iman and you're moving forward with your life. That's wonderful. Mm. But... What I have a problem is when you go to somebody else which is struggling in their faith and trying to understand how to come closer to Allah mm. and they're so separated from any identity of Islam and the history and the 14th centuries of all this stuff and you're telling them, no, this is completely... No, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. Uh, and let them uh, appreciate it. And, um, and, and, and that's why for me, um, if somebody doesn't want to watch it, then it's up to you. 
mm-hmm. for whatever reason your your personal reasons are that's good but uh islam is vibrant enough for us to um you know consider the the spectrum of differences amongst one another that mm-hmm. i accept your your reasoning is valid yeah. but i also need you to understand that i live in the real world and we're looking at 60 to 70 to 80% of muslims who are separated from their history separated mm-hmm. from a reality that existed for 700 years um so my full respect to you go sit in the house and, and <laughs> do what you need to do and uh let other people as well enjoy and benefit from something that i think has much greater benefit beyond yeah. the, the 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 perceptions of um of harm that may exist and that's just my humble opinion allahu alam and the opinion of, of many of my teachers among them like i said sheikh hatim al-shari from mecca yeah. who has the who had the same view when the view of musalsal uh, umar came out so if, yeah, yeah. if umar is okay Trust yeah, me, I think Arturo is fine to go, inshallah. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, some final tips as well for, for people who are looking to maybe not just read up about Arturo and this right, type, but just right. history in general. Um, oh, that's a beautiful question. Just, yeah. yeah, just some practical tips. You know, of course, you can watch these series, you can watch videos, uh, maybe some books you might be able to recommend. Right. Like, what's the starting point for someone who's just about to, you know, so take that, an interest in history? That's a beautiful question because, uh, honestly... The starting point for all of us is the life of the Prophet. You have to learn the life of the Prophet. Forget if you don't like history, you just have to know it. Yes. Uh, and we dr- derive our instruction and guidance from uh, from dra- drawing um, uh, analogies from the life of the Prophet to our lives, in which you can see the entirety of our Torah is based on that. The entirety of any Islamic series is going to be based on that. Yeah. Is knowing the life of Rasulullah. And I, I honestly advise everybody to listen to podcasts like the podcast of Sheikh Abdul Nasser Jangda, the podcast of Sheikh Yasser Qali. There's 110 episodes, so go have fun, <laughs> right? Um, also, if, you, if you're into reading books, uh, In the Footsteps of the Prophet by Dr. Tariq Ramadan, amazing book. Yeah. Uh, it's also available on, um, I think, a book. Um, audiobook uh, on audibly.com or whatever um, there's uh, that stem there's a number of other books as well in the life of the Prophet system but I think these these three I think sources are more than enough mm. uh, there's the sealed nectar uh, by Sheikh al-Mubarak Puri mm. um, there's in Urdu there's in other languages so that's the first stem the second stem that I think everybody just needs to know as well it's it's part of understanding how Islam was applied after the the time of the Prophet and that is the companions. They're the ones who literally set the foundations for our Islam today. So for example, Mm. if it wasn't for Umar al-Khattab, the Turks would have never accepted Islam. Mm. So the Turks accepted Islam based on the the rule of Umar al-Khattab. Islam also reached uh, a sind in Afghanistan and Pakistan in the life of Uthman and their Muhammad al-Qasim, etc. So you have to know the lives of uh, of the Khulafa al-Rashidin. And there's one book series that more than enough, mashallah. Mm. Uh, Dr. Ali Salabi, uh, he did Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, and Hassan, because a lot of people think that there's only four, there's five. Yeah. Um, read that series, you'll, there's more than enough. And obviously, there's a lot of people that have done um, audio series as well uh, on their lives. Um, and just, you have to t- tune or tie yourself into this history. And then after that, um, you know, I, my first recommendation is you seek knowledge from uh, specialists in mm-hmm. the uh, Muslim history that you're that you're looking for, like for example, Dr. Yaqub, inshallah, they're going to publish a uh, suggested reading list for Ottoman history. Um, there's uh, the Umayyad dynasty that came after. There's a book now on the Umayyads. There's a book on the Abbasids um, that has been published by Dr. Salabi as well, for example. Uh, and then you can kind of then construct everything else based on your further reading. Yeah. Um, and that that's where you start the the starting point for us and our history always is the prophet muhammad sallallahu so if you're all interested about ottoman history and you know nothing about the prophet's life mm. you gotta kind of question yourself <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little bit you know so that's essential it's yeah. like muslim essentialness you have to know the life of rasulullah mm-hmm. and the khulafa and then you you realize where the greatness of the ottomans the greatness of the muslims the greatness of the moguls in india of the muslims in africa of everywhere uh, where it stemmed from mm. so wallahu very good point and um that's brilliant we're coming i mean we're coming right towards the the end of the of the show now uh, i have a golden question for you which you've probably been asked golden many question. many times well, which is <laughs> about the legacy institute mm. <laughs> when are we going <laughs> <laughs> right. when when are we going to actually you know see it Inshallah, uh, we're in the final stages uh, yeah. of release. Uh, we've done a uh, episode of um, the con- that's called "Merciful Conquest of Umar al-Khattab," mm-hmm. where it's uh, actually literally in the Masjid of Umar in, in, uh-huh. uh, in Jerusalem and Quds. Inshallah, it'll be released uh, 
Allahu alam when. I don't want to give dates and stuff, yeah, but yeah, within yeah, probably within a year. Uh, there's a number of publications as well, including uh, the life of the Prophet Sallallahu through the historical sites. Okay. So it'll show you literally the site. Yeah. Um, and then it'll be made as a book. Uh, you know, make dua. Ask everybody to make dua for me, inshallah, in, the, inshallah. in this endeavor. Uh, may Allah bless Elmfeed for the invitation. Uh, and I really appreciate you guys inviting me, inshallah, to this beautiful studio and increase and put barakah in you guys' works, inshallah. I mean, I mean, no. Jazakal khairan. We really appreciate your your time. Shabbat and uh, of course, we wish you all the best uh, in your future endeavors and with the Legacy Institute, which we're going to see very soon, inshallah. <laughs> inshallah, inshallah. Uh, and, and of course, with the Elmfeed, we have the Elmfeed history uh, as well. And okay, uh, we have lots of, inshallah, new videos coming out as well so that's a plug to to our viewers and listeners make sure you subscribe to the channel and uh, keep an eye out for the the new content coming as well uh, of course we thank Sheikh Hasib Noor for taking out his time uh, all the way from Medina but we didn't even speak about the US actually <laughs> <laughs> but alhamdulillah um, but yeah we, we thank him for his time and we hope you benefited of course uh, one thing that he mentioned which is really important is of course you know we're not experts in history especially when we're talking about Ottoman history so we're not exactly experts so you know if you want if you want to find out more then you need to do more research inshallah but hopefully this podcast was a start of something for you whereby you can now take more of an interest in history but like he mentioned start with the seerah of the prophet and then take it from there inshallah uh from myself shabir uh, i've really enjoyed this episode subscribe to our youtube and uh, us on itunes as well for more podcasts coming your way very soon uh, until then wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh